0: Welcome to the Shared Tzedek Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Here you'll find a live recording of just about every sermon, Devar Torah, teaching, or story from our Arab Shabbat and High Holy Day services. We know that you wish you could be with us more often, and we understand life getting in the way is not a bad thing. To live Jewishly is to understand that just as important as it is that Judaism happens in the synagogue, it's even more important to live Jewishly in your home and on your way. So here we are in your home, on your way, maybe even on your morning run. If you ever have any questions or want to continue the discussion, let one of us know, and make sure you check out our live stream and YouTube channel for more ways that Shari Sedek is available to you on demand. Keep an eye on your shofar and email so that when you're able, you can be with us as well. Looking forward to seeing you soon. People often ask me what my favorite prayer book reading is. Though I have many, one in particular brings me comfort and at the same times reopens all the wounds, which I believe is what makes it so powerful. The reading is found in this Yom Kippur Yisker service in our Moxer. You'll probably recall it because you've heard it through so many years. It goes like this, We remember with sorrow those whom death has taken from our midst. Taking these dear ones into our hearts, we recall them now with reverence. Then, after the names are read, we are given a moment to remember our lost loved ones. It is after that that the reading goes on to say, In the rising of the sun and in its going down, we remember them. In the blowing of the wind and the chill of winter, we remember them. In the opening of buds and the rebirth of spring, we remember them, and in the rustling of leaves and the beauty of autumn, we remember them. These words always bring a tear to my eyes as I think about the seasons of life that I enjoyed with my parents. Scenes of ice skating with them, going to the pool, having family satyrs, and seeing them amid mountain wildflowers blooming on the top of mountain, blooming on mountaintops. All of these, when I read that prayer, that reading, flood back in my memory. But the words of the reading which follow the first ones are truly the bittersweet ones that evoke the most powerful memories. They read, when we are weary and in need of strength, we remember them, and when we have joys we yearn to share, we remember them. For me, just knowing that my parents were there if I needed them, or if I wanted to feel and hear their second-hand excitement when I shared good news, these always brought me comfort, just knowing that in those days I could pick up the phone, and call. Conversely, not having them here to commiserate with or celebrate with is one of the starkest reminders of their absence. Would I give just about anything to have them back? Of course I would, if only for a day. There's so much I would want to tell them that has happened since they died, both good and bad. There are so many things I would have wanted to say to them that I didn't get a chance to or that I've thought about since and want them to know how I feel now. I would want them to know how much they still mean to me and how their lessons and their stories come to my mind almost every day. And I still hunger for their advice, even the unsolicited advice that used to irritate me. Even then, just being able to hear their voices again would be a gift. And I know you feel the same way about your loved ones who have passed. Indeed, this is one of the most difficult times as we think back on all who have made such a difference in our lives. But alas, we also know that because we miss them, it will, not them, it will not make their return to this life possible. So then the question comes, where can we find solace? A hint comes in a different prayer book call, poem called When I Die by Merritt Malloy. It begins, When I die, give what's left of me away to children and old men that wait to die. And then it adds, when you need me, put your arms around anyone and give them what you need to give me. What a beautiful notion that you can keep a lost loved one emotionally alive by being present for someone else in the way your loved one was there for you. That your hug or your soothing voice or your shared tear or word of support or advice, or you're just being there for someone else in pain, can in a way bring your loved ones back in a way you could never imagine. No wonder this poem ends with the words Love doesn't die, people do. So when all that is left of me is love, give me away. James N. Kennedy, did not instinctively know how to do that. His training to become a fact-oriented lawyer had temporarily screened out the emotional side of life that he had learned from his parents as a child. He missed them now that they were gone and he had no idea how to reconnect in death. But at a crisis moment, that crisis moment taught him how to recapture his connection to his parents, and how to keep that relationship alive by giving away his love to someone else who needed it. His reaction to that moment also reminded him about the importance of priorities and the tenuousness of life and what it means to be a a rememberer of loved ones on this Yester afternoon. In closing, then, I want to share his words with you as they appeared in the Princeton Alumni Weekly. His story is a beautiful one and that will touch us in many ways. What's the most important thing you've done in your life? The question was put to me during a presentation I gave to a group of lawyers. The answer came to me in an instant. It's not the one I gave because the setting wasn't right. As a lawyer in the entertainment industry, I knew the audience wanted to hear some anecdotes about my work with celebrities. But here's the true answer, the one that leapt from the recesses of my memory. The most important thing I've ever done occurred on October 8, 1990. It was my mother's 61st birthday, and I was back home in Haverhill, Massachusetts, for a family celebration. I began the day playing tennis with a high school friend I hadn't seen for a while. Between points, we talked about what had been happening in each other's lives. He and his wife had just had a baby boy who was keeping them up at night. While we were playing, a car came screeching up the road towards the courts, its horn blaring, It was my friend's father who shouted to my buddy that his baby had stopped breathing and was being rushed to the hospital. In a flash, my friend was in the car and gone, disappearing in a cloud of dust. For a moment, I just stood there paralyzed. Then I tried to figure out what I should do. Follow my friend to the hospital. There was nothing I could accomplish there, I convinced myself. My friend's son was in the care of doctors and nurses, and nothing I could do or say would affect the outcome. Be there for for moral support? Well, maybe. But my friend and his wife both had large families, and I know they would be surrounded by relatives who would provide more than enough comfort and support whatever happened. All I could do at the hospital, I decided, was get in the way. Also, I had planned a full day with my family that was waiting for me. So I decided to head back to my folks' house and check in with my friend later. As I started my rental car, I realized that my friend had left his truck and keys at the courts. I now found another dilemma. I couldn't leave the keys in the truck, but if I locked the truck and took the keys, what would I do with them? I could leave them at his house, but with no paper uh, to leave a note. How would he know I had done that? Reluctantly, I decided to swing by the hospital and give him the keys. When I arrived, I was directed to a room where my friend and his wife were waiting. As I had thought, the room was filled with family members silently watching my friend console his wife. I slipped in and stood by the door, trying to decide what to do next. Soon a doctor appeared. He approached my friend and his wife and in a quiet voice told them their son had died, the victim of sudden infant death syndrome. For what seemed like an eternity, the two held each other and cried, oblivious to the rest of us standing around in pain. And after they had composed themselves, the doctor suggested they might want to spend a few moments with their son. My friend and his wife stood up and walked stoically past their family. When they reached the door, my friend's wife saw me standing in the corner. She came over and hugged me and started to cry. My friend hugged me too and said, thanks for being here. For the rest of that morning, I sat in the emergency room of that hospital and watched my friend and his wife hold the body of their infant son and say goodbye. It's the most important thing I have ever done. That experience taught me three lessons. First, the most important thing I had ever done happened when I was completely helpless. None of the things I learned in college, in three years of law school or six years of legal practice, were of any use in that situation. Something terrible was happening to people, and I was powerless to change the outcome. All I could do was stand by and watch it happen, and yet it was critical that I do just that, be there, be present, and be there when someone needed me. The next important thing is that the most important thing I'd done almost didn't happen because of things I had learned in classrooms and professional life. Law school had taught me how to take a set of facts, break them down, and organize them, then evaluate that information dispassionately. These skills are critical for lawyers. When people come to us for help, they're often stressed out and depend on a lawyer to think logically but while learning to think, I had almost forgot how to feel what my parents had taught me. Today, I have no doubt that I should have leapt into my car without hesitation and followed my friend to the hospital. And then he adds a sense of perspective for all of us on this Yom Kippur day. The third thing that I learned it reminded me that life can change in an instant. Intellectually, we all know this, but we think the bad things at least will happen to someone else. So we make our plans and see the future stretch out in front of us as real as if it had already happened. But while looking to tomorrow, we may often we may forget to notice all the days slipping by and we may forget that a job layoff, or a debilitating illness, or an encounter with a drunk driver, or a myriad of other events can alter that future in the blink of an eye. Sometimes it takes a tragedy to regain perspective on your own life. From that one experience, I learned to seek balance between work and living, to understand that the most satisfying career Isn't worth one missed vacation, one broken relationship, or one holiday not spent with a family. And I learned that the most important thing in life isn't the money you make, the status you attain, or the honors you achieve. The most important thing in life is the little league team you coach, or the poem you write, or the time when you're just somebody's friend. Indeed, when you love someone as he loved his parents and I loved mine, the relationship doesn't go away. It can be given away. You embrace the love that your loved ones gave you and then you keep them alive by sharing that love with others. Who need you. They live on through the human touch and the grace of God.